This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The founder and CEO of Tive, an organization that is helping define the future of tracking physical products through the supply chain. Kunar, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Craig? Fantastic. It has been a long year in 2020, uh, and now we're in 2021. Your organization building physical trackers, uh, helping companies track the supply chain has never been more important and more relevant than it is today. Tell us a little bit about your how you got started. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's pretty pretty funny story. My background is in tech. I uh, went to school for computer engineering, electrical engineering, designing, worked for a lot of startups here in Boston area, designing chipsets for smartphones and worked for an MIT startup that designs base stations that go on cell towers. The way I got started was um, uh, once I got married, my uh, wife's dad, my father-in-law, in, uh, we, lived, we lived in Worcester, Massachusetts. He's got a trucking business. And every time I would go to his house, he would be on the phone trying to figure out where his drivers are. Did they load? Did they unload? What's going on? He would be on the phone at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., trying to watch a movie, trying to eat dinner. I'm like, we got we to gotta fix this. So decided to make some GPS trackers, put them on his trucks. Then his friends started tracking trucks. And what I realized is there's some shippers that were putting these temperature sensors that were passive, not real time, on top of goods on the actual pallets. And I would ask the drivers, one of the drivers named Tony, I'm like, Tony, how, what, what are they, how do they get the data out of this thing? He would say, hey, at the end of the shipment, somebody takes it, plugs it into a printer or plugs a USB into a computer, and that's where they know. And I was thinking just that's too late. Uh, it's after the fact. And that's where the whole idea of making trackers that track the location and condition of shipments in real time came about. So you got the ability with these tracking devices to see what's happening in real time. It all, I also imagine that uh, helped create a level of accountability uh, for whomever, if it's temperature or if it's uh, conditions of the product, having the ability to see that helps know when something went wrong when there's an exception versus the fact that after the fact that it's happened. Is that, does that help from a forensic standpoint, uh, avoid these types of issues? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's the when and also where, right? And then you put those two pieces together, you know exactly who's, who's handling that product at that time. Uh, it's definitely helped. We have uh, large meat distributors that we work with out of Australia that track shipments and they were getting hit like 20% of their shipments were getting hit by, by rejections and, and insurance claims. So what they were able to do with this data, now show this data to the receiver and say, hey, it was packed correctly, it arrived at you correctly, here's the temperature, and uh, insurance claims went down by 90% for them. Wow. And, and just in terms of safety of, you know, food safety is an important concept. It, it actually got a lot of attention during the COVID crisis there was a discussion about a frozen seafood entering uh, New Zealand that had uh, COVID, actually. There was a belief that maybe some of the frozen seafood had been tainted with COVID residue. 
uh, or COVID virus uh, impacts. I, I imagine by having the devices, if something does go wrong, uh, it enables tracking and tracing of where it went wrong uh, in terms of being able to come back to when it comes to food safety. Yeah, when it comes to food safety, you bring up a really good point. If you think of Food Safety Modernization Act, the requirement, if you read the law, it says that you got to keep the temperature data for any food that you ship for at least 12 months. And if you're putting passive loggers, loggers that are not real time, what happens is the statistics are that roughly 75-80% of those get thrown in trash. Nobody takes that logger and plugs into a print, uh, into a computer to upload that data. So that data is gone. Whereas with trackers that are real time, all that data is going to the cloud. So you have 12 months of data uh, to, to keep and meet the Food Safety uh, Modernization Act requirements. And there's auditing, right? When USDA audits, um, if something goes wrong, definitely the data is, uh, is there and it's available. Uh, with New Zealand, in Australia, we actually track a large percentage of all the vaccine distribution that's happening there right now, uh, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's an important fact. There's been a lot of conversation about the cold chain, the need with the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines uh, to be able to maintain temperature, monitor that, and have chain of custody. Uh, you've mentioned that you guys are involved in helping uh, track uh, the vaccines through uh, the Pacific. Uh, is this something that you think all manufacturers of vaccine and medicine should be investing in? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's been news articles, if you go and read, there are thousands of vaccine that had to be thrown out because something didn't work, some temperature didn't get met, uh, or after the fact they looked at it, things were wrong. Whereas if you had real-time data on knowing exactly where they were, uh, definitely would have been able to act on it. We do that thing with quite a bit actually today with berries and strawberries and blueberries where if something goes wrong with a reefer, uh, we're able to contact the carrier and the carrier goes to a shop, fixes the reefer, and off it goes and save a load, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, if that stuff melts or, or becomes spoiled, you've got to throw the whole shipment out, right? Uh, but at least you have the ability to uh, manage it before it happens. One of the things uh, that happens around food safety is when there is an outbreak of salmonella or E. coli, uh, the contact tracing or tracing of the origin of where that went wrong or where it was tainted is very difficult. Oftentimes, restaurants and grocery uh, providers just throw out the entire supply, take all of the items off their shelf because they simply don't have the uh, time nor the information to figure out where it was potentially tainted. And these processes take months before they actually ever identify, if they do, where it was originally uh, tainted. I imagine with the data that you're able to bring and the tracking capabilities, you're able to help e expedite that tracking process much much more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every, every time there's a uh, issue or something that at the end, the receivers uh, raise an issue if something didn't, doesn't look right in their point of view. Customers can immediately go to the website, put in a tracker number. It's just simple like this one here. You can see the, the barcode. And it, these are single use, which is really cool. You just press a button, put it on the load. There's no need to return them. Uh, we encourage recycling or furbishing. But then they just go there. They can download a PDF report on exactly what happened uh, throughout the journey or get alerts in real time if something's going wrong. So, yeah. Now, it, 
the the device itself connects to the cellular networks. Is that how it works? Uh, connecting yeah, that's the network? background. I used to work quite a bit on the cellular side with designing those chipsets and base stations. So definitely cellular. It uh, works globally across the globe. Connects to LTE. We what we did, which was really cool, is we were the first one to release a 5G ready tracker. So we'll also connect to 5G networks in the future. When I was in trucking, uh, I used to do a lot of business with Dell Computer, and they had a big problem of theft as people would hijack loads. One of the things they started doing uh, was actually putting cell phones inside of the uh, uh, a box that had a cell phone in it, uh, hoping to mitigate and track where those trailers, if they did end up stalling, uh, where they would end up. Um, one of the ways that they would uh, manage that is they would hide it in a normal Dell computer box so that a thief or a potential thief wouldn't know it's there, or if they did, wouldn't know what actual box it was. Is that how your customers are using your technology? Is they're actually putting them in there for chain of custody and control, but not identifying where they're actually at in the process? Yeah, I'm not going to say whether Dell is or is not a customer, (laughs) but uh, yes. So if you think of high value shipments, such as Dell um, and others, where we're tracking also racks and servers. They're putting these, some are covert, but most of them are not because they're purely trying to understand where the shipment is. And and sometimes if it's not covert also helps in some cases to uh, uh, just let let people know that things are being tracked. Uh, But yeah, in some cases it's covert, whether it's uh, televisions or, or, um, or high value shipments. And in some cases, so if you think of this is where we play, right? If we have cold chain, which is temperature sensitive shipments, time sensitive shipments, whether it's automotive parts, trying to get to places just in time, and then high value shipments like the ones you mentioned. And all three areas uh, is where our solution gets used quite a bit. And it's, Colonel, what is a typical uh, device cost? What, do you, what is the sort of retail off the shelf price? I imagine higher volume customers get Hopefully, uh, buying in volume is, is a better experience. But how do you guys make money? What do you charge for it? Yeah, we have a, the way we charge is pretty straightforward. We figure out what customers are, how many shipments are they doing a year, a week, a month. And then based on that, uh, we ship to various uh, stations that they want us to, to warehouses or in one location at their headquarters. And they distribute the trackers they want them to. But that's how we distribute them. And as far as the cost, I'll just say it's double digits. Uh, and it's not in the high side. <laughs> so. Double digits per device. Per device, yeah. And that, and that, how long does the battery last in the device? How long will the device? That's last? another unique thing, right? Coming from my background, I really focused on the battery life. Um, we first released the tracker. It was a tracker, this one right here, which lasts for more than a year. Uh, but these ones that are single use can last on an ocean shipment. So up to even three, four, five months, they'll be fine. Now, there's no cellular uh, towers out in the middle of the ocean. Um, how is the, does it just when it's on land, does it re, re, uh, sync with the, the networks or is there some uh, tracking capability in between? Yeah, there is. Um, correct. There's no cellular uh, in, in uh, ocean. And what we do is we just store data. So let's say temperature, shock, light, all that data is being stored. And when we get close to the port, we transmit. However, our customers can see that data in real time. And the way they see that is because we connect to um, like AIS data, satellite data, and we show customers exactly where the vessel is in real time. 
And one, for instance, one big news was the Ocean Insights acquisition, right, by P44. It just yeah, it's a big transaction. Uh, I actually wrote an op-ed piece about it, uh, which is I, can, I was in payments for 10 years. And it's interesting because um, the network, there was a lot of discussion in the mid-2000s about MasterCard and Visa. They were going public and, and did end up going public. But there was this belief that and a lot of startups were trying to disintermediate the credit card associations because they were charging two and a half or, you know, the interchange rates are two and a half to three percent in some cases. And it's interesting because they weren't able, no one has ever been able to disrupt those networks because of the fact that they have ubiquitous acceptance and consistency in the transaction flow. And it, I often compare freight tech and fintech as uh, in many ways, similar industries uh, were much more on the physical uh, side of the world in terms of goods movement, but the data, the information, the settlements, are in terms of what you can do with it, um, I think the trends are very similar. And it struck me, uh, reading the P44 Ocean Insights transaction, that there's going to become a point in time where the scale of those visibility networks is going to create this massive ecosystem of third-party developers and applications that are that go beyond what P44 and Forkites and the visibility players. And I think Tive is a great example of that. Is you're not building the actual visibility layer, uh, which is a relatively low margin on a per transaction basis. It's high margin at scale. That's why it's really valuable. But low margin on a per transaction basis. You're actually building something quite different that taps into those networks. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we're really excited about the partnership that we did with Project 44 and Jet and with uh, Forkites and Matt. Uh, it's, uh, they're great partners in creating the open visibility network and obviously other partners are uh, going to join. And that's the future. That's the way we look at the world is it, at the end of the day, the customer needs to benefit. At the end of the day, these networks need to enable those other third party applications to be developed. Tive, Forkites, Project 44, we're not going to build all the apps that are required by the logistics world, right? However, we want to be that uh, the, the, the players that feed the data to those apps, feed the data to those uh, to the network, so at the end, the consumer uh, gets the best out of it. There's other, as far as margins go, I would say we charge obviously more per transaction because there's a hardware component, that's one difference. Uh, the other, I would say that with this, because of the cost, then you're getting real-time visibility regardless of uh, mode of transportation, regardless of geography, regardless of where that, where that shipment is. And with that, we can maybe do a little bit, few more things. Um, but what's exciting is together, I think we're able to get to that 100% visibility for customers. Well, it's just amazing because I think about the emergence of this industry. You know, it's a very old traditional industry that's going through this digitization. But with the enablement of these visibility networks and payment networks and, and all of this innovation that's taking place is you're creating a, a, a business that's built upon that ecosystem. I often get asked, why now for Freightways, our, our particular data products, why now? Like, why... It, why doesn't your business exist or why didn't it exist if it's really as big as you say it is or could be uh, become? And it's interesting because it's just timing. I think the advantage of whether it's the visibility of what you're doing is you needed ubiquitous cell phone tower and infrastructure. You needed these visibility networks to be able to build off of uh, and you needed customer demand for these types of products. And all of that is converging at once. Uh, you've got it with what... We've seen around supply chain sensitivity with COVID 
supply chain sensitivity with this, you know, this inventory sh uh, uh, shocks that are in the system. Uh, and now you have the right constructs for potentially a really big business. Yeah, if you think of timing, for instance, with P44 and Forkites, why now? I mean, it's APIs, right? They finally enabled telematics, ELD, just enabled that, uh, the, those two companies to just really grow, which is exciting. And on our side with hardware, why now? It's exactly what you said, right? Ten years ago, five years ago, it's just difficult to get connectivity globally at the level that we can get it today, at the cost that we can get it today, where you can put one SIM card and just connect everywhere in 200 countries, 500 different network operators. Uh, the other thing that happened is chipsets. There was new chipsets that designed by Qualcomm and other players to be able to uh, connect to these new LTE networks, which are LTE, which is called LTE Internet of Things, IoT, which consume a little less power, but also make your trackers last a little longer. That convergence, which happened a year, two years, three years ago, um, all of these together to be able to make cost-effective, single-use, globally connected, long battery life, it just would have been impossible five to 10 years ago. And now you have the, and the market demand. I mean, the important thing Huge. is, uh, you know, the tracking devices and physical tracking devices have been, people have been trying to accomplish this or envision this for, for many years. Sort of dating myself, 20 years ago there was discussion, there were some early adaptations of that. The market wasn't ready for it, and the infrastructure wasn't built to allow for it. What you've got is this uh, sort of perfect storm of the infrastructure is now ubiquitous and in place, and you have the market uh, starting to pull the demand on the product, which I think is creating this massive ecosystem. And it reminds me of, going back to my payments analogy, you know, Square is a company that a lot of people now know as a brand. At the end of the day, all that they're effectively doing is tying into the existing credit card networks, the existing bank systems, and they've created this really nice experience, but they also created a piece of hardware. With the, originally, it was a, the card reader. They invented that, which was a really a very small device. But now this is, a, you know, I don't know what the market cap of Square is. I could look it up. It's in, you know multiples of tens of billions of dollars. And I think this is what we're seeing right now play out in supply chain is the same things that had played out 10 years ago in payments and in fintech are starting to play out in freight tech. I, I think, Grenard, your business is helping to uh, empower that. Um, where do you take this bit? Where does it go from here? I mean, you've got this big opportunity, a lot of tailwinds at your back, but where do you go in terms of scaling this business beyond where you're at today? Yeah, very good question. I'll, I'll answer a little bit more philosophically, I think, but also with some facts. You're right. The pull has been amazing. Last year, we grew 7x, to be exact, 6.7, uh, which was unreal. Uh, and we have close to around 150 customers right now and growing quite a bit. We made an acquisition, which we'll announce uh, actually next week with a company in UK and almost doubled this quarter. We're not quite doubling all of the revenue of, uh, of the previous year. We're, we're almost uh, doubling in bookings, which is, so that pull is there. You're right, timing has been perfect. But where do we go from here? Let's say we, 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 we're growing, we, we're providing this amazing data to our customers, but what I'm seeing and what I'm sensing is customers really want to uh, help on, we want to help customers save their shipments. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to use trackers which is hardware, we want to use software, which is our platform, and workflows and automation, and people, 
to save our customers their shipment. So when something goes wrong, we can be there, we can help them, we can contact the carrier. We do that with few customers today and we want to enable that for, for more customers because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Every shipment matters and uh, instead of customers hiring more and more people just to watch alerts and watch shipments, let's do that job for them and let's make it easy for them. So you, in other words, Ty would end up creating an exception management business and filing claims on behalf of your of your shipper community is that really the the concept? The first part, yes. <laughs> you don't you not yeah. get into the claims business, right? <laughs> not not uh, that's not in our uh, that's that's potentially, but not in the roadmap at the moment. Got it, Cornier. You you've gone out and raised. You guys have raised twelve million dollars in a Series A. Um, this is a really interesting time in venture capital because the market is so flooded with capital. There's so many emerging startups. Uh, you know, the public markets up until the last couple of weeks have been very, very robust and very healthy. And even even based on what's happened the last couple of weeks, just in terms of historical reference, they're still very rich. Um, and so, but I, I'm curious as a founder, uh, how how are you thinking about the future of of capitalizing your business? And where where do you end up? Is this a business you scale and take public? Is it a business that you think makes sense for an acquirer? What is the future roadmap for you as a founder? That's a good question. I, I, I look at it as, you're right, there's a lot of capital. However, you want to make sure that you partner with the right people. I'm extremely fortunate to to have been, for instance, with Raju Rishi and Jason Black at RRE Ventures, been talking to them for a few years, and they decided to finally invest, and then meeting Vili at Two Sigma Ventures, just great, great partners uh, that came into our Series A. So that matters a lot. It's not just the capital, it's also the people on the on the venture side. And usually the way I think of it as a founder, when I start seeing the hockey stick the second time, which you're about to see, uh, we're growing very fast and which I saw uh, last year, kind of July, August, and you, can, you can't keep up with the current capital that you have in the bank, that's the time to raise and grow. Um, and we're, we're going to continue to grow. We're growing extremely fast, which is uh, actually beyond the expectations that I had because of that market pull that you, that you mentioned, which has been amazing. Where do I see it? Um, I believe that this is a category that is being designed. I believe that this is a new category that we're working on. We believe that we're going to be the winners and the leaders of this new category, uh, whether it's with automated shipment management, whether it's with tracking shipments using trackers like we're doing. And we're the right players to win in that category. What happens when we get to 100 million in ARR and beyond, whether whether we do an IPO <laughs> or uh, whether uh, SPAC or I, I like IPOs, I guess, more. SPACs is maybe it's just, it just might fizzle out uh, or whether uh, a private equity firm or whatever it takes to keep continue to grow the company. Uh, that's what I'm going to do and grow the category. I'm very passionate about the industry. I'm very passionate about making sure that we are the ones that uh, are given the best product and full stack, right? The hardware, the software, APIs, integrations, um, the overall the, and the people to support those shipments and save those shipments. That's that's where the future is. And that's is your, is your hope is to in the building? <laughs> I mean, is your hope as a founder, I think about my own sort of journey, um, and I'm having so much fun. I mean, one of the downsides of taking venture capital is that you know at some point that there ha there's an exit for them, right? And and you know it, I'm grateful for for having them in the cap table. Being you know some of our our VCs have been 
tremendously helpful to me personally uh, to, to help navigate the business uh, in addition to capital. And I think that's an underappreciated part of the venture story is uh, oftentimes founders get all the credit and, and we love as founders and VCs love to dunk on each other. And it's uh, some of that, a lot of that's deserved. Even, even the best VCs at times uh, do stuff that's uh, deserved to be dunked on. But, but having said that, I think they're also very instrumental in giving guidance to founders in the journey but I think about my own journey and other founders' journeys, and because this business and market is so big that I can't imagine wanting to do anything else. Like, why would I go sell this business and go do something else? Because this is the best. I'm not smart enough to come up with a better idea, in my opinion. Uh, I imagine you feel the same way. I feel the same way, 100%. Um, yeah, I'm young. <laughs> I'm not looking for an exit. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for uh, for growth, and I'm looking to make a difference in this world. And I think we're, with time, we're gonna make it happen. So you're, we're not gonna see you uh, build a, a sell the business and 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 um, uh, leave the country or go somewhere go else, somewhere island, right? <laughs> so yeah, there's there's better things to do in life, I think. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Well, Kunal, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's always fun to meet founders that are doing having great success in this industry, uh, bring in fresh ideas. Um, I think what you're doing is pretty fascinating. Uh, and it's exciting uh, because I think it brings all of it together and it solves a really big, substantial issue is where is my freight and is it safe? And I think as uh, that chain of custody becomes more important, I think shippers are going to continue to make those investments. The nice thing is I imagine uh, the cost of the battery and the hardware just goes down uh, exponentially over time, which enables you guys to continue to make investments in your your network infrastructure more so. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're the the goal, right? Is eventually it's gonna go to single digits. <laughs> so that's where we're pushing. And thank you, Craig. You've done amazing things for the industry. I don't think, I mean, without you, how many people we we wouldn't know as much as we know today and what you've done with freight waves. And I still remember a few years ago. Forget where it was, either CSCMP or Gardner, one of those events you were, you were talking, and uh, I just could see the passion. And uh, I, I don't think there's any other right person in the world to, to do what you're doing. So I'm very personally grateful for, for what you've done with Freightwaves. No, I appreciate that. I, like, I love this business, and I love the people in it. And uh, as a founder that's had my own set of successes, I get to root for this business, uh, folks like yourself, to to build fantastic, a fantastic ecosystem. It's an exciting time. I mean, ten years ago when I was in payments, I had no. I was like, why would you go do freight? It's a boring industry where no innovation, no venture capital is coming in. And in the last, you know, five years, that's completely changed. So it's uh, certainly an exciting time. Grenard, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, look forward to connecting. We'll do this in person. Hopefully you can come down to Chattanooga in November for F3. The Future of Freight Festival is in Chattanooga. What's that? November. That's right. November 8th through the 10th. We are taking over the city of Chattanooga, trying to bring a South by Southwest experience for freight right here in the city of Chattanooga. Turn the whole city into a smart city that focuses on the future of transportation and logistics. Grenard, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to having